Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Right, it's Stormwatch, 8,000. You did it. There are puddles on the ground, guys. There was weather in the air. You did it. We're bundled up. We are bundled up, sir. Yes, break out the hats. It'll be in the 50s today. The scarves. Yes, yes. I put the flip-flops on for the rain today. I love it. Uh, it's a big day. It's Thanksgiving, so we, we did it. For those of you, how many of you had a great Thanksgiving? Okay, how many of you are glad it's over? Okay, a few of us. What are you thankful today? I'm thankful that Thanksgiving is over. Um, yeah, I don't know if you know this, uh, but God has a favorite team. And, um, and I don't know who mailed me these this week, but it was serendipitous because I got this in the mail anonymously. And this turned out to be, see that O? That, st- that stands for God's blessing and glory right there. And, uh, and Rhonda can tell you about God's blessing because she has benefited her team, the Dallas Cowboys, have benefited from uh, one of the most famous Buckeyes uh, that is now carrying you single-handedly into the playoffs. So hallelujah. It's very exciting. She's a Dallas Cowboy fan. There it is. There it is. All right. And some of you are like, um, what are you talking about? Ohio State, Michigan was yesterday. Michigan, can I, can I be honest with you? I'm sorry if you're new. I'm sorry about this. Um, Jesus loves everybody, so we don't have to. Okay, so um, it's true. It's in the Bible somewhere. And, uh, and there is a state that really should not be a state. It really should just belong to Canada. Uh, and that is, the, I can't even say the name of it. Um, uh, and we defeated them yesterday in a, in a Titanic match. So we're very excited. Now, also excited today because I got a couple of announcements, all right? Look at me. Welcome to Vox. Bring your scarves. It makes me so happy to see you all bundled up today. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, if you want to find out more about us, you can go to voxoc.com. And at voxoc.com, this week, you will read about something um, called the 12 Days of Voxmas. All right? So, I know, so dumb, so dumb. It's the 12 Days of Voxmas. What we're going to do, one of the things we hear from you is, hey, we'd love to get to know each other. So what we're doing is, is we are hosting in, I think, five or six different cities, holiday parties that are, that are just for Voxers and their invited friends around dinner. No agenda, it's dinner and conversation. The biggest metaphor we have for our community is that of a table. So we see Jesus dining with people all over the place. That is a compelling image for us. And so one of the things we're doing for the 12 Days of Voxmas is we're just having holiday parties scattered around Orange County. Uh, and you can go, uh, and, and it's really over the first two weeks of December, uh, you can go onto our website and sign up for those. Let us know if kids are coming. Um, we're going to provide child care. We're going to provide food, unless, you're really, unless you really want to save us money. And you provide food, fantastic. But either way, you're going to get fed. But we need to know you're coming. So if you're interested in that and just connecting with some of the folks sitting around you, that's, uh, that's the place you go. All right, make sense? Perfect. Second thing I want you to know about, our prayer team is pretty awesome. They're here normally handing out the communion elements. They pray over the communion elements. They pray over the room. They're available to pray for people, not just during the service, though. I want to let you know it's usually 15 minutes before each service, right? 15? 40, you're available 40 minutes before each service. Perfect. Um, so we'll hold you to that. 
uh, 40 minutes before each service just to pray for people. Normally, where are you guys? The lunchroom area, affectionately known as the jail. Okay, so when you come onto our campus and you go right, and here we are, to the left is a lunchroom area, and we have prayer folks always available to, to pray for folks um, and, uh, and, to, and to lift up whatever it is that's heavy on your heart. So I want to let you know about all of that. Lastly, there's a U of M hat right there. That's bold, young man. That is a bold choice today. I'm glad you're here. It's safe. It's safe for people like you to be here today. We're safe to belong. Now, today, uh, we are arriving at the portion of John 3.16 that has to do with hell. And uh, so we're going to spend some time. It's hell for Christmas, guys, is what I'm going to tell you. So we're going to spend two or three weeks talking about the subject of hell. And it's going to be awesome. Because nothing says Christmas spirit like eternal torment. Can I, can I get an amen? Because for some of you, that's what Christmas feels like, is eternal torment, right? Now, uh, we got a question last week that sums up the feelings that some people have about this maneuver of ours. And it's this question. Go ahead and put that first question up. I'm 35, and this year is the first time I've ever attended church in my whole life. Congratulations. We're sorry it's us. You can do better. Just know there are other churches out there. I'm going to miss out on the Christmas story for four weeks on hell? I was just crying while watching an Oh Holy Night flash mob on YouTube with my wife. This is so genius. Do you have a list of Hallmark movie recommendations I should watch in December to help me cope with a month of lessons on eternal suffering? Simple. All right, I'm a connoisseur of Hallmark movies. Not even remotely. Um, for, for spiritual edification, I highly recommend Elf and uh, The Christmas Story. So those are my two, just for the deep spiritual meaning of Christmas. Um, and if you, really, if you really want to be superficial, watch It's a Wonderful Life. That one's just fluff. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, just, I'm in a good mood today. I'm in a good mood. Evidently, I'm alone. All right. So let's talk about hell. John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. We've been going phrase by phrase through this verse. And um, what we want to do is we want to spend some time on what it means to perish. So that the thou shalt not perish makes a bit more sense. Go to the book of Genesis if you have a Bible. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we'll put everything up on the screen so you can follow along. And our assumption is always that there are people here uh, who either aren't big fans of the Bible or don't really understand it. And so we try to explain everything. So if that's you, please, please, we're thrilled you're here. Or if you're from Michigan. And, um, and Genesis 1, 1, kind of a famous, I mean, if you're going to start a big book, this is a killer first sentence. I mean, just it's like your thesis statement right here. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the what? The heavens and the earth. Flip to Genesis, later in Genesis 2. Flip to Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus, the what? 
heavens and earth were completed in their vast array. Or, or, or chapter 2, verse uh, 4. This is the account of the what? The heavens and the earth. Now, this is the no-duh portion uh, of our little uh, time together this morning. We like to think that the story is about heaven and hell. The biblical story is not about heaven and hell. The biblical story is about heaven and earth. Heaven and hell are never mentioned in the same sentence. Heaven and earth are mentioned always together. Hell is not the counterpart of heaven. Earth is the counterpart of heaven. This is not, the biblical story is not a story about heaven and hell. The, story, the biblical story is a story about heaven and earth. So, first graphic, if you would, Bob. Nope, the other one first. That's the, that's the right view. This is the wrong view. Here's how we've been suckered into thinking about heaven and hell. We live life on earth, then we die and we stand before the pearly gates, and God judges us. And these judgment, judgments have various configurations. It's, it's like uh, Jesus, uh, like a multiple choice exam where Jesus says, why should I let you in? And you say, Jesus, and you're in. Uh, in other conceptions, it's this big movie that plays so that like all the billions of people that have ever lived are watching me steal a cookie when my mom told me not to, right? I mean, it, it, so, and, and on the basis of that judgment, you are sent one of two places forever, right? Heaven or hell. This is how we conceive of the biblical story. The problem is that's not what the Bible teaches, not even remotely, not even close to what the Bible teaches. So we get hell wrong because we get heaven and earth wrong. So we're going to talk today about heaven and earth. And you'll see how this impacts how we see hell. Next slide, the, the first one you put up there. This is the biblical story, brothers and sisters. All right? And it's massive in its significance. The Bible begins with the creation of heaven and earth. Hell's not mentioned. Hell's not the opposite. Hell's not the counterpart. It's just heaven and earth. We will see that heaven and earth are torn apart through something called the fall, which is a shorthand way of talking about the disobedience of our first parents, the disobedience that runs through the human heart, the disobedience that characterized the first people on the planet. So that now, even though heaven and earth overlap, they're separated in ways they weren't previously. Then there's judgment, according to the Bible, and the result of the judgment, check this out, the biblical story ends with the reunification of heaven and earth. That's how the biblical story ends. This is massive. Now, you can text all questions into the number that's on the, the screens that are coming. What's coming next is about 15 minutes and like 70 Bible verses. Okay, some, some teachings are for inspiration. Some teachings uh, are for motivation. Some teachings are, you know, are, are like shepherding. This one is purely aimed at your head. This one, I just want to overwhelm you with how wrong our normal conception is of life on earth, judgment, than heaven or hell. When the biblical story is a lot bigger and deeper and richer than that. All right, make sense? You guys out there? I mean, this is pretty dazzling for 10 minutes in the service. I, I'm just going to say, this is good stuff. All right, this, 
This is why I get paid the big bucks. Right here, that stuff, right there. No laughing at that. So what we're going to do, all right, look at me. What we're going to do is we're going to look at verses that talk about creation, verses that talk about fall, verses that talk about separation, verses that talk about judgment, verses that talk about reconciliation, so you see I'm not making any of this up. So 15 minutes of that, and then we'll talk about so what. Sounds good? Boom. Bob, fire it up. That was a hard slide to put together. Let's talk about creation. Oh, you missed, you missed the best 10 minutes of your life. Next. So these are verses that just repeat the Genesis narrative. What was created? It was heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are counterparts, not heaven and hell. In the beginning, you laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. These verses are all over the place. Next. It is I, God, who made the earth and created mankind, humanity on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. So you see, heaven and earth are always mentioned together. Heaven and hell never. Next. See, this is fast. Let's talk about the fall or the separation between heaven and earth. And it's really important. Heaven is now. There's a place in the, called the heavens that exists now. It's not just a future thing. And, and these are, in the Bible, they are realms of authority. So that God rules in the heavens and is in the process of ruling on the earth. So, so even though heaven and earth overlap, right? So in the Old Testament, you'll get God talking to people from the heavens. It's not way out there. It's like right here. There's overlap, but they're still separate in, in some way, shape, or form because of the entrance of sin and death into the world, okay? First text comes from Genesis. Adam and Eve, the story goes, disobeyed. God judges them and notice. Because you listen to your wife, which, guys, never do that. That is the first sin right there. <laughs> so not true. And ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the what? The ground. So the ground in the Genesis story becomes cursed. Right? Ground and earth are often synonymous. Next. Psalm 115 puts it this way. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to who? Humanity. Next. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. Anyone think of Kung Fu? That old 70s grasshopper? Okay. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. All right, so there's this, they overlap, but there's this distinction now between the heavens and the earth. Next. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Next. Or Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The implication is, heaven's the place where God's will is done, and the earth is the place where other wills are done. Next. Later in that same text, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moths and vermin destroy. We're all familiar with vermin. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, this isn't a, a physical location. Jesus is just playing off the set of values. There's a, there's a set of values represented by the earth, and there's a set of values represented by the heavens, and you're always investing in one or the other. The point he's making, though, is that heaven and earth are not unified. Next. But, now here's where it gets tricky. All right, are you guys hanging in there so far? I'm trying to be entertaining, witty, funny, to hold your attention. This, this next phrase, this next section is really thick. All right? So here we go. Here we go. I'm waiting for you, young lady. I'm waiting for you. No, no, that's okay. I'd Listen. If it were up to me, I wouldn't be listening to me either. I don't blame you. I don't know. I'm just playing. All right. Now, pay attention, you guys. This is from 2 Peter. And there's so much context here. By these waters, he's talking about the flood. By these waters also, the world of that time, Noah, was deluged and destroyed. By the same word... The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Next. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. He's talking about, hey, if you, you said Jesus was coming back. He's not back yet. So what's up? And, and this was written maybe 50 years 60 years after, I mean, so they were already antsy about when's Jesus coming back, let alone 2,000 years later. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. (laughs) No kidding. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. So that will be a key verse we'll come back to. But everyone to come to repentance. Next slide. The day of the Lord, this is the day of judgment, will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements on the earth will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, let's talk about this. The phrase laid bare, do you see that? And everything done in it will be laid bare. Older translations have burned up by fire. That's not the right translation. The reason it's laid bare is because it's a Greek word, that we use to get the word eureka. And it means to discover something that was always present but was hidden. So when it says that the fire of God is going to lay bare things, what that means is the fire of God is cleansing. There's stuff that still remains, and that stuff now is shown for actually what it is. Paul uses this image in 1 Corinthians to talk about God's judgment. Look at the word destroyed, though. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Now, the question is, what does it mean for something to be destroyed in this context? Flip backwards to the slide before this one, Bob. One more. By the waters of the flood... The world of Noah's time was deluged and destroyed. Okay, now look at me. If you know the Noah story, was the world destroyed? No, what was it? It was cleansed. So this is a judgment of cleansing. This is not a judgment of destruction. 
This is a judgment of cleansing. In other words, the judgment that is coming will purge the earth and the heavens, but the earth specifically, of all that is not aligned with the kingdom of God. Okay? And the result of that judgment, next slide, next slide. Look at verse 13. Nope, go, go uh, one right. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a what? A new heaven and a new earth. How does the biblical story end? Does it end with people with wings and playing harps in an eternal church service? Is that how the biblical story ends? Not even remotely. It ends with a new heaven and a new earth. Now, are you still out there? Kind of? Yeah? Eh? Text your questions. All right, next. The biblical story ends with the reconciliation of heaven and earth. Next. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Next. Ephesians 1. God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things, where? In heaven and on earth in Christ. Next. For the creation was subjected to frustration. So, so the earth itself groans, is Paul's image. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. In other words, when human beings are rescued, the earth becomes rescued too. Next. This is from Isaiah. See, I will create what? New heavens and new earth, the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Next. Next. And then Revelation pulls this image through the entire Bible. This is how the story ends. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, the, the significance of that isn't that God hates surfers. It's that... <laughs> The sea represents the place where evil dwelt to the ancient mind. So no longer sea is saying there's no longer evil. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Where are the people living? They're on earth. Heaven comes down to earth. The biblical story isn't, us getting zapped into heaven forever, the biblical story is heaven coming down and that earth and heaven are now reunited forever. And that, and that this raises a whole host of questions and that you and I live forever with resurrected bodies fitting for God's new world, doing human things forever. And by the way, forever doesn't mean a sequential linear, like, one moment, then another moment, then another moment forever. Forever, in this sense, means time it no longer exists. Everything's just a now. I mean, we can't even conceptualize it. 
The closest we get to it, do you, do you have something that you do where you lose track of time? Anything? Dancing? All right. For me, time slows down when I'm dancing, but okay. I like that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut the door on any other answers. That was more of a rhetorical question. But perhaps those are the glimpses we get of what life is like when it's timeless, right? You're just not aware of time passing. So, Bob, put up that first, very, the, the good one, the good diagram. Let's go over this again. Now, I know this was overwhelming and not terribly exciting. But that was just to overwhelm you with how biblical the concept is, all right? The biblical story is that heaven and earth belong together. God creates them both. Hell is not in this part of the story. Hell is not the counterpart of heaven. Hell is not the counterpart of earth. Earth and heaven are counterparts. Hell isn't in here. Because of creaturely rebellion, the heavens and the earth now And I'm oversimplifying. I mean, this is so incredibly nuanced. But in some way, shape, or form, there's a there's a there's there's distance now. There's something that's invaded that wasn't part of God's good creation. And you know what that something's called? Hell. Now that we'll talk more about that coming up. The entrance of sin and death and evil, in some New Testament passages, talked about as unleashing the destructive powers of hell. Hell is what comes into the creation. It never was God's intention. So there's the separation of heaven and earth that God puts right. How does he do it? He purges the evil from it. Now the problem is that we are part of the evil. Right? We're all victims and we're all victimizers. We're all oppressed and we're all oppressors. There are righteous parts of us, and there are just dark parts of us. So as part of the cosmic rescue operation, God has to provide a way for human beings to now be made into people who are fitting for the new world that's coming. Hence the work of Jesus. But that judgment is a good news, bad news kind of thing. We always focus on the bad news. Judgment's coming. The good news is that If we're honest, we all want judgment for this world. Every time you protest against injustice, you're crying out for cosmic judgment. Every time you protest against murder or rape, every time you protest against greed and lust, every time something in us rears its ugly head, and and not an ugly head, but it rears its head and you cry out against it, we're crying out for the justice of God. To know that the Holocaust isn't the end of the story for six million lives. To know that whatever bad hand you were dealt isn't just the end of the story for you. See, we're people who actually crave the justice of God. And the biblical story is that it's a good thing that God comes to purge evil. Why does he do it? So that heaven and earth will be reconciled again and that God will dwell with his people 
on a renewed earth with them having renewed bodies, doing human things beyond time. Now that, that sounds like a bit of good news, doesn't it? Kind of? Maybe? Or not, evidently. Now, a couple of implications from this. This is the so what. We make the story about heaven and hell. That's not the biblical story. Hell mentioned? Of course it is. That's what we're going to talk about it. Is perishing a real thing? Of course it is. That's what we're going to talk about it. But that's not the point of the story. See, Western Christianity has made the story about what happens when you die. So, we, you know, older generations had a question they would ask each other, you know, as an evangelistic question. So what happens if you die tonight? Dallas Willard has this great comeback to that question. when He says, well, what happens if you live tonight? Does Jesus not have anything to say about that? See, your journey of the destination, your journey, your, don't stop believing, your, <laughs> rephrase, your view of the destination affects the journey, correct? So when I'm scrambling, if I'm, if I'm traveling somewhere and I'm scrambling to get home, I will wait in lines, I will sit in security, I will take an uncomfortable place on the plane, I don't care, just get me home, right? I'll put up with a whole lot because I know the destination's worth it. Because we have such a thin view of what God's intentions are for the world and the cosmos, we just look at suffering as if we were handed a raw deal and it sucks to be us. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, we'll get a ticket to heaven. Great, it'll be great someday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we secretly have the feel like we're getting cheated. This is our one and only life. YOLO, baby. And then when someone dies or you get a disease and die early or your marriage isn't what you thought it would be, Paul's words that say, hey, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all, that's just religious cliche. So for us, this has profound implications about how you see things now. If you have a view of what God is intending on doing and currently doing that is glorious, well, then you'll sit on any seat of the plane. But if you don't, then we're all just scrambling for our best life now. Hannah, my daughter, asked such a great question the other day. She said, Dad, why should we care about doing anything good if we're just going to be in heaven forever? Like, once you do the transaction, you pray the prayer, God gives you the ticket, why not just do whatever? What a great question. <laughs> and the trumpet shall sound and the Lord will return. And one of the answers we're going to see is that the good that you do here and now actually carries forward with you into the new world. That's something we never talk about. That justice here matters. Generosity here matters. You don't come into God's new world as a fully formed, perfect person. You, it, it's so fascinating what's coming for us. So, point number one today. The biblical story isn't a story of heaven and hell. We make it that. 
Biblical story is a story about heaven and earth. And if you get heaven and earth right, hell becomes a different conversation. If you get heaven and earth wrong and make hell one of the points of the story, you get what we get, which is, hey, pray a prayer, get a ticket to heaven, and that's where you go when you die. See, heaven in the biblical story is the first stop on a round-trip journey. So today, we just want to get in view what the story turns out to be. God is at work reconciling all things to himself. You and I can either harden ourselves against that or open ourselves up to it. And we'll see next week and maybe the week after as we watch Hallmark movies grieving the fact that we're talking about eternal suffering. We'll see this has some dramatic implications for how we view hell. Sound good? All right, so close your eyes if you would. So God, thank you that the good news turns out to be much bigger and wider and more beautiful than uh, many of us had conceived. Thank you that salvation isn't something that happens someday, but it's happening now. God, would you give us a vision of how beautiful you are and how grand your intentions are for the universe that would allow us to put the hurt, the depression, the pain, the worry, the sadness into perspective. Lord, you give us You give us great permission to lament, and lament we will. We grieve, but not as those who have no hope. And so, God, we want to be people today who live in the tension of grieving and hope, both. That we can say with 100% assurance to everyone here, it won't always be this way. It won't always be this way. It won't always be this way. You're not doomed to forever be feeling like you're feeling. God, I pray you'd help us to believe that, to lean into that, to capture it not just as theory, but as reality. And so to that end, we want to practice, we want to give voice to prayers, to songs, to declarations, to meditations. And so in response, we sing. We pray that you'd meet us in this space so that we might become more and more like you. Amen. Amen. This is our friend, Maddie. Say hi, Maddie. That was a warm box welcome. Though <laughs> They treat me worse. So, I mean, that was at least positive or neutral. No, Maddie is a friend of Izzy's. Uh, she's been here before. We're thrilled to have her. As always, if you're a Jesus follower, we invite you to stand, sing, declare, sit, meditate. If you're not a Jesus follower, you are more than free uh, to sit, to watch, to wonder, to ask questions, to think. But in all ways, we take this time not because we have nothing better to do, but because the people of God have always sung their prayers. And so we join in that generations-long tradition now. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Um, So we have a huge value um, as part of our worship to hear the stories of people as they journey through life um, at different places in their journey with Jesus. And so... um, uh, this is my friend Kelly, and Kelly, Kelly's got a pretty heavy story, and um, she's pretty, yeah, she's pretty <laughs> courageous to share it, and uh, so I'll just turn it over to her, and then I'd love to, love to do a bit of praying after you're done, if that's all right. Yeah. All right, hold it up there. Okay, everybody Here, grab on. a tissue. Yep. <laughs> that was mine. No, 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 I'm holding it for you. <laughs> you going to blow my nose for me, too? <laughs> yep, I do it for my children. Or use your neighbor's sleeve, one of the two. By the way, that music is amazing, and I wish I could sing like that. 
Um, so it's hard to like do your story in, in five minutes. Thank you for giving me seven. Um, so I, I'm just going to try and hone in on one snapshot of my life. Um, so my life story is one filled with a lot of heartache. I'm probably going to cry. Um, but just to give you a rough idea, I was uh, sexually abused by my biological dad as a toddler, which is disgusting. And um, later on, my Sunday school teacher also molested me. And uh, my adoptive dad was um, you know, verbally, emotionally, spiritually abusive. And my mom was um, bipolar. She was undiagnosed bipolar. And so my way of dealing with all this chaos in my family was becoming increasingly physically and verbally abusive. I know it's hard to believe, but that was me. Um, and then by the time I reached my teenage years, I was pretty much drunk and high all the time, and I started sleeping around. It was just a way to numb the pain. Um, but, you know, God totally invaded my life, and I got radically saved. Um, I spent years going hard after God, evangelizing, classes after classes. I mean, <laughs> prayer meetings, holding Bible studies. Everybody knew I was a Jesus freak. Um, and about seven years of pursuing God and trying to impact people, I honestly think I expected some dividends. Like, this is going to pay out. I'll get some peace in my family. Maybe I'll get a godly husband. Um, but quite the op opposite started to happen, and I saw my life being picked apart piece by piece. Um, and I began to question things, and I didn't really feel safe to question those things. Like, the church environment I was in, it was just kind of like, oh, you should just be okay with where you're at. Don't have those questions. Don't voice those questions. And so I led a double life, you know? I had one foot in the world, one foot out of the world, and nobody really knew. Long story short, uh, I got pregnant um, outside of wedlock, and that was pretty shocking for me and for everyone because I was that crazy Christian that was waiting till marriage to have sex. And I don't know how I expected people to react. I think I assumed the worst would happen, um, but I didn't expect people to call me and be like, your child's a bastard child. And that happened. I cried for three months straight as I lamented my life, like where it was at. Mm -hmm. I'm shaking. <laughs> um, but that wasn't the worst of it, you know. Talk about being kicked while you're down. Um, early on in my pregnancy, I got a call from my OB on a Friday night, 5 o'clock. That's a great time to call your patient. And I was told that my daughter had trisomy 18 and that she was not compatible with life. And can I have that tissue? Is it sweaty? Nope. That's why I grabbed the towel. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever heard somebody tell you that your child is not compatible with life, but it doesn't make sense. It's not something you understand. We weren't created for death. And so I, I couldn't accept it. You know, I just thought. God would have a miracle for me. I thought he would heal my baby, and I would testify to everybody about Jesus. Um, but the sad reality, though, was that God didn't have a miracle for me. And I watched my baby slowly die. The last 12 hours of her life were torture. She would stop breathing for sometimes 10 minutes at a time, and then just go... <laughs> And, like, let out this groan. And I went through that for 12 hours, like, begging God, please just take her. I can't stand this anymore. 
After the morgue picked up her body, I just curled up in my bed and I started to cry. I mean, it was so painful. My friend just held me and I was like, I gotta shut this pain off. I can't even stand it. And I went to comedy. I did what everybody does when they're mourning. I went to comedy and I shut the pain off. That was my way of dealing for the next year. It was just avoiding. I don't want to deal with my pain. And in the meantime, I became increasingly hostile towards God. I'd already been through so much pain in my life. Why did he have to kill my baby? It felt like a personal affront from God, like, like he was mocking me, and I was pissed. I began to study all kinds of religions. I wanted to know the answer to my question, why is there pain and suffering? Why is there even sin in this world? But my journey left me more despondent than when I started, and I told people I wasn't a Christian anymore, and I said, God's a monster up there, and he's messing with my life. And one night I was reminiscing with some friends about Sienna. That's my daughter's name, beautiful. And uh, we started talking about the end of the world. Oh my God, we didn't start talking about the end of the world. Sorry, I got nervous. (laughs) We started talking about her. And, you know, it was like laughter and like tears of joy and whatever. And like pretty soon my anger turned into bitterness as I started thinking about how God let my daughter die such a torturous death. And, you know, my friends, the good Christian friends that they are, try to say those good old Christian sayings of (laughs) everything happens for a reason. At least she's in a better place. And I I was just like, like I was raging. And I wanted to say F you, but instead I said. Friendship. (laughs) Friendship you. You are my friend. (laughs) I know, I know what you meant. But instead I just said, you know what? If you can go to Africa and look at all those African people in their faces that just saw their whole village raped and pillaged and murdered and then say to their face, you know what, everything happens for a reason. They're in a better place. It's all going to work out. I said, if you can say that to them with a straight face and come talk to me, but don't tell me how to deal with my pain. And I went home that weekend so depressed. I was so depressed because I don't know if you know what it's like to have dreams shattered, but my life was shattered. I mean, I died the day my daughter died. Part of me did at least. And I went home and I picked up C.S. Lewis, The Problem with Pain. I'm already over. I'm sorry, guys. And I, re- I, I just said, you know what, God, this is it. Every time I picked it up before, it was like, wah, wah, wah. But for some reason, it just worked this time. And, and the scales fell off my eyes. And I don't know why that prayer was different than any other prayer that I had. Um, I don't. But what got me was that Garden of Gethsemane story where Jesus, you know, was pleading with the Father, please, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me. And the Father said no. And so Jesus submitted. And I just thought, man, if God can become flesh and he can't, he won't exclude himself from the suffering and he'll, he'll get down here with me. I'll trust my pain and suffering to my, of, of my daughter's death to him. And I know this may not be your answer, and it may not bring you any comfort to your situation, but I love that God met me in my darkest time. He wasn't offended with my questions. He wasn't offended with my doubt. He patiently kept sending me people throughout this time to love me when I was really unlovable. And one thing my dear friend said to me during this season um, that rung in my head over and over, God is big enough to handle your pain and your doubt and your anger. And when God finally opened up my eyes, I knew that was true. He's big enough to handle it. Mic drop.
So some stories we just want to pray over, and this feels like one of them. And so Jesus, um, we, we're in a room full of shattered dreams, and um, as tempting as it is to compare sufferings and to judge Kelly's worse, God, if we're honest, we all relate uh, to being disappointed with you, to feeling betrayed by you. It's amazing that you just don't zap us sometimes, um, but that you meet us instead. And so uh, I don't know of a better Christmas story than this one, the God who gets dirty, the God who knows what it's like. And so I pray for Kelly, and I pray for her healing, and not healing uh, away from pain, but through it and in the midst of it. And God, if we, if we take your word seriously, Sienna uh, will meet us in the new heavens and new earth. And um, we yearn for that. We yearn for the day all things are made right and that every tear is wiped away. So until then, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. So, um, so communion today, we come to the table and we come today to celebrate the God that draws near. The God who gets his hands dirty, the God that knows disappointment and pain, the God that knows fear and concern, the God that knows betrayal, the God that knows hunger and thirst, the God that knows torture and abandonment. And, uh, and I love what Kelly said, you know, that's not always the answer, but for some of us, it's exactly the reminder we need. And so the reason we take the bread and the cup every week is because every week's a different week and there has to be something steadfast, you know? There has to be some anchor. And so it's the proclamation of the character of God revealed in Jesus that we hang on to. So uh, the table will be open. For those of you suffering in a gluten-free way, your table's over there. <laughs> for the rest of us, um, you can go anywhere. Um, we're honored, to, as always, to have uh, some of our, our prayer team just to look you in the, in the eyes and to say this is the body and this is the blood, and all are welcome at the table. Uh, we also want to let you know those folks will be available to pray with you if there's anything that's being stirred up today, anything that you'd want freedom from. Um, we'd be honored to pray for you. We have participation boxes around the room. Um, for those of you that worship financially, um, you can do it that way. And then lastly, we're going we're gonna to sing some more before we close together. So let me pray, and then we'll respond to what it is we've heard. So God, we take the bread and the cup today as the reminder that as real as the bread is, that's as real as your flesh is, and as real as that, that juice is, that's as real as the significance of your blood is. That these aren't just figments of our imagination or wishful thinkings. These are concrete historical facts. That you came, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again, that you're coming again to put the world right. And so we come to the table in anticipation of that. Not just deliverance someday, but deliverance now. Not just salvation someday, but salvation now. And we come, some with joy and some with heartache, but we come knowing that you welcome us and that you meet us and that you're not ashamed of us in our doubts and our anger and our fear and that there's no condemnation 
as we come for those in Christ. And so God, we pray that you would meet with us here and that you would do the work we can't do for ourselves. The work of healing and restoring, the work of digging up stuff thought long buried. We come today as hurting and broken people and we ask God that you'd receive our worship in the name of Jesus our Christ, amen. Trust in thee, 
Trust in thee, O love, I'll rest in thee, O love, I'll rest in thee. Can you guys stand with me uh, as we close? Um, you know, I love what um, another thing Kelly said. Not sure why one prayer was different from all the others. There was just something about continually crying out. And we realized that church service isn't a band-aid. It's not a, a fix-all. There's a pretty red bow. Um, we walk out still hurting or limping or celebrating or whatever. But there's something about um, creating space to be uh, real and authentic uh, before our God, who isn't surprised by any of it. And there's something about being together and taking the bread and the cup and realizing uh, this Jesus isn't far away from us. And so um, we're glad you're here, uh, however you're here. We're thrilled you're here. As you go, a couple of things. Uh, number one, if you want to let us know a bit about you, there are cards out on the table or there's a place on our website that you can just give us some information uh, so we can spam you, and uh, we're very excited about that. Uh, we don't spam you. We just add you to an email list. Um, secondly, if you're in the mood for a holiday party, uh, we've got one in Brea, one in La Mirada, one in Placentia, um, and several other places. So go onto our website, and, uh, and 12 Days of Oxmas. Um, just so ridiculous. Um, and then... Uh, and then lastly, I just want to do our, our blessing, the, the blessing we do out of Numbers chapter 6. Um, and there's a reason why we repeat it all the time. There's a reason why we do the table and cup all the time. There's a reason we just, there are these rhythms that I think we're meant for. And, um, and so part of what God intends for his people is that we sit under uh, rhythms to our weeks and to our lives. And so to that end, I want to just say the blessing again. Our prayer folks will be here afterwards. They'll be hanging out if, if there's something uh, that's stirring up, we'd love to pray for you. We believe that that's powerful and that works. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Amen? Amen. Stay warm out there, guys. Be careful. Could be some lingering water on the roadways. Learn more about participation in the Vox community at voxoc.com participate.